0: Awesome, where do you want to start? Uh, When you get 1 Corinthians, there's so much in it, and then I saw section 5, which was the sex part, I thought we'd pass on that, and then we'd go ahead and, yeah, chicken, you're right, thank you. Uh, I'm Rick Ayres, I'm one of your elders, and um, I'm excited to be here today, thanks for coming out right here before the new year, happy new year everybody, and Merry Christmas, I seem to always get this shift because I don't know if pastors know it's going to be light uh, or they're going on vacation or whatever. Brad used to always give me this shift, but I enjoy it. Um, One of the things I'm excited about today is my mom and dad are here. And I'm even more excited when your mom is in the house, you feel good, right? It's my mama's birthday. So, see, happy birthday, mom. 39 once again so um, I am excited that they're here anytime they can come hear me preach uh, they knew how I grew up more than anybody else even more than my wife so they're more amazed that I'm up here than the rest of you so uh, God bless you so as we talk about um, the church in Corinth uh, and we talk about how Paul got there we start not in the book of Corinthians or the letter to the Corinthians we really start in the book of Acts so if you have a Bible and there is one in front of you normally, Uh, look on your phone uh, or your iPad. It starts in Acts chapter 18, and this is how Paul gets to Acts, uh, or gets to Corinth through the book of Acts. As it's detailed here, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, and I'll just read it. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, where Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear from my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles.' Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord." And many of the Corinthians had heard him believe, had heard that he had believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We are so thankful for um, the people in this, in this house, in this gathering, in this ecclesia. Uh, Lord, we're especially thankful for the teaching today of Paul's letter, his epistle to the Corinthians, uh, a letter of correction. Um, Lord, and may we learn as a church um, uh, how to do it and how not to do it from this letter. Lord, we ask all these things, all these things humbly in your name. Amen. So... Who wrote the book of Corinthians? Well, it's not really a book, it's a letter. It's called an epistle, which is a missive, a report. And it's typically, we heard of the Pauline epistles, um, and there's many of them as Paul created, his, created them in his journeys around the New Testament cities and the new churches that he had planted. But what would happen is he would hear of reports from other people in the churches that he had planted, of problems in the church, and he wrote letters, epistles, for correction and for direction of what they were supposed to do. Um, you could imagine they didn't have text message or email back then, so they wrote him on papyrus. And um, he had normally had a scribe, and his scribe in this case was Thosthenes, who was also, you heard me mention the word Crispus, or the, the man Crispus, who was the rabbi in the synagogue that Paul led to Christ he also led his replacement, Sosthenes, to Christ as well. So the Jewish leaders weren't real happy with him at this point, were they? They lost two rabbis in a matter of 18 months. Not a a real happy time uh, to be a a Jewish rabbi uh, if you were going to stay in the synagogue. But this was written about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. And it was written to the Church of God in Corinth. And it's important that we don't say it was the Corinthian church because Paul never calls it that. Paul never says this is, you know, the Methodist church or this is Foothills Church, whatever. It's always the church of God wherever he's at, so in Corinth. And it's a church in Greece which Paul had planted sometime earlier. Now, Corinth was an interesting city. It was known for its prosperity. It was a port city. It was a real wealthy city. had a lot of intellectuals in it. But it also had the reputation for debauchery. Is that a great word? Debauchery. Okay. Debauchery. Think Hollywood or San Francisco. How many have been to those those places? Think Hollywood in the '40s. Right? It was the place to be. You know, Grauman's Chinese Theater, and it was all the big all the big shows started there, and all the premieres started there. Now it's just a pit. You go into San Francisco, and it's such a great place to visit. But who would want to live there? Right? It's really become a pit uh, for, for whatever reason, and really, Paul, Paul talks about this um, with the church of Corinth. It worshiped Aphrodite. We've all heard that name. It's the Greek goddess of love. There were a thousand priestesses, what they called sacred prostitutes, that came down off the mountain. There was a 2,000-foot hill that they lived on. They came down on the, off the mountain each night and slept with the townspeople. And they worshiped those those, uh, sacred prostitutes, if you could only imagine. So when Paul went there and planted a church, he thought they all went away from that. But what happened is the world started infecting the church after Paul left. Does that sound familiar? It happens in the church, doesn't it? Not this church, of course, but it happens in the church See, Corinth became a large church after Paul spent some 18 months there, both in Jewish synagogues um, and with the Jewish leaders and then with the Gentiles because he was so frustrated with the Jews. See, as a large group of believers, Paul called it the ecclesia, and you'll hear that when you read um, the Pauline epistles. He uses the word not church, not building, because in in the New Testament, there were not a lot of big buildings that people could go gather at, they gathered in homes. And he calls it the ecclesia, the gathering. He was told of various cliques that, came, uh, that became churches within churches. Some of you guys have been in churches like that? We have a, we have a constituency in certain areas of the church. And, well, they, they're over here and, and they believe this way and they're over here and they believe this way. And a lot of times that happens in really large churches. Um, thank God it doesn't really happen here at Foothills. Those cliques were causing divisions in the church body. They acted more like a country club than a church. One of the things uh, that the cliques were doing, they were snobbish and they were arrogant. They allowed no church discipline. They were lax in their morality and doctrine. You see it said one, one guy married his stepmother. I don't know if she was still married to his father, but one guy married his stepmother. Unwilling to submit to church authority. They lacked humility or consideration for the less fortunate. The wealthy people would get their food at a church gathering and go sit off by themselves and the poor people who didn't have the money for the food would go sit by themselves. There was real division there and that frustrated Paul. They even questioned Paul's apostleship and we'll get into that here in a second. See, Paul greets them in 1 Corinthians 1.1 where he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ by the will of God. Paul didn't anoint himself. Paul didn't win by popular vote. He was just reinforming them that he was called by God and that his authority was not based on church popularity. That's important to know. And he said, then he also says to the church of God in Corinth in verse 2, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he calls it the ecclesia, a gathering of harmonious people who seek to know Christ and make him known. But in verse 10, Paul speaks of the divisions in the church. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and then you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's easy to do, right? Everybody agree? Okay. Why don't we? Well, he's not talking about the world issues. He's talking about the issues of Christ. He's talking about the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he'll get into this here in a second. Um, One of the things he says in verse 12, he starts out specifying... What was told by those in Chloe's household. Who was Chloe? Well, it's obviously a lady who had a house church. And there were people inside her ecclesia, her gathering. And they were writing letters to Paul saying, dude, there's some issues here. We got people going all different ways. I think that's how she said it, dude. (laughs) That's where we're heading here. He says in verse 12, one of you says, I will follow Paul. And another, I will follow Apollos. Another, I will follow Cephas, which is Peter. And still another, I will follow Christ. So let's break those down for a second. Paul. I will follow Paul. Paul was like a god to those people in Corinth, right? Spent 18 months there. He planted this church. They were his guy. So that's who they were going to follow. It was probably many in the Gentile party. His preaching was that of Christian freedom. Remember, a lot of them were Jewish people. They knew the Torah, they knew the law, they knew the Old Testament writings, they knew Isaiah, they knew Jeremiah, and Paul said, listen, you have Christian freedom now, you're not of the Jewish law. Now remember, Paul used to be part of the Sanhedrin. Paul was a Jew. He, was, he used to kill Christians. And now, who are you to tell us, the Jewish leaders said, that we don't have to follow the law that you followed most of your life? And then Paul basically walks away from them and says, I will now preach to the Gentiles. He preached Christian freedom. It frustrated the Jewish leaders. But the Gentiles came in as time went on and they were practicing cheap grace. You've seen it before, right? I can do what I want. I'm not, not perfect, just forgiven. Not perfect, just forgiven. So pretty much I can do what I want. I can sleep with who I want. I can steal from who I want. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. You're not the boss of me because I'm saved through Christ Jesus. Boy, Paul was pretty frustrated at that. He was basically saying they had forgotten that they were saved by the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, not free to sin, but free not to sin. They were supposed to be different. And then we look at Apollos. What do we learn about Apollos? Well, we go back to Acts chapter 14. I'll put it up here. You don't have to turn back there. Verse 24. Apollos was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor in the spirit and taught about Jesus accurately. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from, this, from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Man, wouldn't you want to sit under this guy? And they said he was slick. He was eloquent. Where Paul talks later in Corinthians, I am of no eloquence. I'm just a guy preaching the word. Okay? It looks here that Apollos was trained, a trained speaker, what they call sophist back in those days. He was a Greek from Alexandria. They were elitists. It'd be like, you know, being from the Northeast, Martha's Vineyard and all that. How many of you are from Martha's Vineyard? Yeah, everybody here? You're glad you're not there now. 55 degrees today. The beautiful thing that he said was he vigorously refuted the Jews um, by the teaching of the scriptures. Paul's concern here was that the Greek intellectuals were turning Christianity into a philosophy. That's a problem, isn't it? A philosophy and not a religion of faith. They were basically saying, this is how, this is the philosophizers, this is the the brilliant minds, these are the academics. And if you don't quote, you know, the great scholars of the time, you know nothing of Jesus Christ. And, And Paul got really frustrated that the elitists were then following Apollos instead of the man he was preaching about, which was Jesus Christ. You know, think of this in our own time. Many folks have said to me they like a preaching of this preacher or that teacher. Oh man, I love listening to this guy or I go to church here because of this guy and he's the real draw. Do you see where that could be a problem? Okay, that person's the real draw. Uh, What happens if that person leaves or dies? What happens to your faith if you have your faith in that person, this is what Paul was worried about. We think at our own times about Chuck Swindoll, Everybody's heard of Chuck Swindoll, great author, great pastor, great teacher, left Fullerton EV Free, 4,400 people there. Strong evangelical free church, wonderful teacher, Listen to him on the radio all the time, read most of his books. Paul, or, uh, Chuck left and went to Dallas Theological Seminary to teach. And this man named Dale Burke came in and took over his church. And I happened to sit next to Dale at a conference one time and I said, Dale, why would you possibly take over for the John Wooden, of Christian churches. And he said, I'm just hoping that the people have more faith in Christ than the UCLA fans had in John Wooden's replacement. <laughs> Being a UCLA fan, he's right. We've never been the same. Um, however, that church grew from 4,400 to 6,000 people in one year. How did that happen? What was Swindoll doing? He was pointing people to Christ, and Chuck said, I'm tired. I need to move on. Dale Burke came in and said, I got some new ideas. 1,600 new people came to Fullerton Evangelical Free Church because Chuck pointed him to Jesus Christ, not to Chuck Swindoll. We think of Francis Chan, the great author, and, and he planted a church in Simi Valley. It grew to three or 4,000 people very quickly. Francis said, I got to leave. You know why? Because people were there to see him. They were here to hear him, not his message of Christ. So Francis said, no more. You're here to listen to me, and I'm just a man. So Francis today took a year off away from church, and he now plants small home churches in the San Francisco Bay Area. He doesn't want it to be about a celebrity, about him. But that's what we make it, don't we? Oh, look at this guy. Oh, look at that guy. we think of our own Chuck Smith down here at Calvary Costa Mesa. 1965, started out with 13 people in a Bible study. Chuck died a few years ago. There's 1,800 Calvary Chapel congregations around the world. How come that hasn't folded since Chuck's gone? Because Chuck pointed everybody to Jesus Christ. A word for the day. Chuck was always a word for the day. Chuck always pointed people to Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul wanted everybody to understand. It wasn't about Apollos. It wasn't about him. Um, It wasn't about Cephas or Peter. Peter's associated with the Jewish converts. Um, The teaching was that a person still must obey the Jewish law. Because you know that that story about bon appetit and the food and everything? That was Peter and Paul going after it. You know, he's like, they can't eat meat. And Paul's like, sure they can't. And Peter's like, no, they can't because it's old sacrament law. And Peter, or Paul would always teach the new covenant in Christ. The old covenant was gone. The ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ replaced the old covenant. But these are the people we call legalists today. Sometimes we like that straitjacket of rules, don't we? Well, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And if I don't do it, we're going to call it sin. Well, that's not always the case, is it? All right, the New Testament gives us freedom in that. The last one is Christ. <clears throat> some of you have followed Christ. Wait a minute, is that what we're supposed to do? I got real confused at that till I did some research. How is identifying with, one's, with Christ a bad thing? Paul's saying it's a bad thing when those in the church said Christ belonged to them oh, well, you guys can follow that guy and that guy and that guy. We, we follow Jesus. You ever meet anybody like that? I'm one of those, by the way. I was one of those for a long time. Jesus and me. Just, just I don't need all this stuff. Just new Christian, just me and Jesus. I don't, I don't need all this church stuff. I grew up in the Lutheran church. I was like, who needs all that? Who needs all that? But what he's saying here is, those people said, Christ alone is our leader. We don't need church authority. We don't need church leaders. Those are, those are the people that say, well, the Lord told me to tell you this. Okay? Those people are dangerous. Because whenever the mind changes, then who changed their mind, God or, or you? Or did you hear it wrong? It's very dangerous when we decide that we have Christ and Christ alone. God's put the, the assembly, the ecclesia together for a reason. He's put pastors here for a reason. He's put elders here for a reason. He's put our school teachers here for a reason. Our kids' teachers, our nursery leaders, they're all here for a reason, and we'll talk about that in a second. Paul preached that Christ did not belong to us, but all believers belonged to Christ. Amen? Amen. One of the things Paul points out in uh, verse 13, he says this, is Christ divided? I mean, what a rhetorical question. You can't break out parts of Jesus. But, but we know people who do that, right? I'm gonna take this part of the New Testament and this part of the Old Testament, and I'm gonna take this part of this, and I might even throw the Apocrypha in here because I might have grown up Catholic. And then we bring it all together and create our own faith. But that's not, that's not what it is. I'm gonna preach Christ crucified. Is Christ divided? And what he says, In verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Does this not still apply today? People look at you and go, well, you know, I'm kind of a Christian, or, you know, yeah, I'm not really into the church thing, or, yeah, that's good for you, but not for me, or, why do I need a cross? Your God died. How how can you prove the resurrection? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are saved, it is the power of God. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? But we preach Christ crucified. There's always this big debate between science and the church. Well, science can't... I read a book not too long ago that my son... Matt um, recommended it called Younger Next Year, and it's about old guys like me trying to get in better shape. And this guy talked about, well, you know, we've been hunters and gatherers for 50 million years, and when we were cavemen, and and I'm like, this guy's a total evolutionist. And Matt's like, well, get past that and get to this stuff. And How can you get past anything if that's his core belief? I don't really... You know, Brad used to call it separate the chicken from the bones, but there's too many bones in this thing. There wasn't enough chicken. And, and we got to be real careful when we look at things and we start talking about, well, you know, this guy's got a lot of alphabet behind his name, PhDs and MBAs and, you know, it's BS, MS is more of the same, and PhD is piled higher and deeper. <laughs> for anybody who's a PhD, I'm sorry. I know you worked hard for that. Um, <laughs> One of the things he mentions here in verses 26, he gets the the church in Corinth to remember what they were before they got so smart. Sometimes we need to be brought back. Remember, Paul later says, I'm going to feed you milk because you can't handle the meat. These were new believers. These were young believers. This church had only been around for about 18 months. These all were new to Christ Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble by birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You know, uh, uh, I was at a seminar one time and Joe Stoll, who was the president of Moody Bible Institute at the time, uh, God knows how I got into this seminar, but um, I was there and and he would say, uh, one of the worst things he could hear, and I've said this before, after a message, Joe, good job. And he said, Satan told me the same thing. Joe, good job. Did they learn anything? How dare us tell somebody they did a great job because they entertained us? Did they preach the gospel? One of the best messages I ever heard was a guy that came up and he just read the Beatitudes and then he just read the Sermon on the Mount. People were in tears. It was moving. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't fancy, but it was the word of God and they were ready to hear it. It didn't hurt that it was on Mount Beatitude in Israel when it was being read. And it was like you were right there where Jesus was. It, was. it was pretty amazing and pretty moving. One of the things I want to share with you guys mostly is this church body, Foothills Church, is nothing without the people whom God has used for over 31 years. The people who are teaching the kids, the people who are in the nursery, every one of you that volunteer or call this your church home, no one person can boast Amen? We've continued on. It's been about a year. January 7th will be one year since Brad and Margie accepted a, uh, accepted a call from God to move on. And I, uh, I for one, am, am one of those who miss, miss them greatly. But one of the things Brad Fogle always did is pointed us towards Christ we averaged about 130, 140 people then. We're averaging about 140, 150 people now. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Why are we still here? It's because Brad Fogle and Margie Fogle didn't made it about them. They made it about Christ. Every week, Brad got up here and preached the word. It's no wonder he interned under Swindoll and was taught early in his Christian life from Chuck Smith. At Calvary Chapel. And all those great men pushed themselves to tell everybody about Christ and not about them. And uh, Brad always pointed his congregation to Christ crucified and the resurrection that saved us all. See, churches go through difficult times. People come and go for various reasons they move out of the area, they move into the area. Their kids are attracted to other places, their grandkids are involved in other places. It's just the reality of our times. We're a moving society. But remember this, Foothills, we are not competing with other churches, are we? Um, We had a a gentleman here that we thought was going to take the pastor role in October, and he he chose another church. And I wrote him a long email after a couple days of disappointment because I thought he was going to be here and congratulated him that he was back doing what he felt he was called to do and what I feel he was called to do He's preaching the gospel at at another church in another city. He's not a competitor. We didn't lose him to a competitor. We lost him to another church body that God placed him in. Amen? That's where he belonged. We're all on the same team. Hopefully, we're all pointing to the risen Christ in the kingdom of God. The leaders of this ecclesia are still actively searching for God's choice to be our lead pastor and come give Craig a hand. Uh... We hope he comes alongside us and leads other lost souls to Christ and grows this congregation uh, spiritually. But see, your faith and patience is a sign that you too are focused on the things of Christ. You guys weren't here following Brad, and when Dan Schaefer left, the man who planted this church, people didn't leave then because they weren't following Dan Schaefer. We've been blessed with teachings we have received over this past year from Stephen, from Justin Batorik, From Tom Bernardo, from Pastor Craig. Uh, We've been blessed, amen? Because each one of them shows up preaching the gospel and preaching Christ and preaching Christ crucified. And in summary, I just want to tell you in closing, we just have to ask ourselves are we on a cruise ship or a battleship? You've heard me say this before. Cruise ships are built for luxury and comfort, aren't they? Man, you don't expect battle. If they get into a battle, they're going to lose. The cruise ship is never ready for war, but we are in a spiritual battle, personally, culturally, spiritually. Satan's roaring about like a lion, ready to devour your family. He's after your kids. He's after your marriage. He's after your grandkids. But see, a battleship is always ready for war. Sometimes, as a blessing, it's calm when at sea, but it's always ready for war. When war breaks out, you don't see guys down below in the bunkhouse just sitting around going, well, hope somebody gets that. (laughs) Call the battle stations. That's what happens. They're always ready because they train. And we hope that Foothills Church always trains our people to be ready for battle. What's the church for? We had a young man that we, uh, the search team interviewed, uh, his name was Josh Rose. I'll never forget him. Because one of the interview questions was, Josh, how do you evangelize? And he said, You know what I do? I, I ask the person, Where do you go in times of crisis? Who do you have in your corner? And if you don't have the church, what do you have? You know, I used to be a, 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 a drinker and a partier. I know it's hard to believe asked my wife. I used to be a drinker and a partier, and I had my buddies. But once I quit drinking and partying, where were they? they it wasn't their fault. They just Why would they want to be around a guy that doesn't drink? So when I went into times of crisis, when my marriage struggled, or I had problems with my kids, or I had problems at work, I had no one to go to until I found Christ, until I found the body of Christ. And, and, you know, we moved to Michigan right after that, and we were a little congregation of about 60, and it was amazing how tight they were. Part of it was because there was like three families in the whole church. But, But Lori and I came in, and they're like, you're weird. You're Californians. But they loved us and accepted us. And when I was out of town traveling, if something happened at home, they would rush to our home to fix a boiler. God knew what a boiler was, right? I'm from California. To fix a boiler, to fix something in the house To help Lori with something happening with the kids. There was always someone there. And that's what the church brings you. Thinking of the cross as foolishness is what the world does. When we face crisis, we turn to the church body for comfort and care. Many of you have experienced that this last year or two. As I look around the faces here, many of you have have found times of struggle you've had health issues, you've had the death of a loved one, you've had financial problems, you just had problems in general. And the church has been there for you. The church has been there for you. That's what the church is for. That's what Paul's trying to talk about is we're here in harmony and unity to serve Christ. So Foothills, stay strong in your faith and Christ crucified Anyone who God sends to preach here, give them your attention, please, and pray that the Holy Spirit uses that message that person brought to you, and to all, here who, all who preach here, may they continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much for these men and women. I thank you for the opportunity for your word to just press on us a little bit, or be, where we have been impatient and rude with one another, where we've exalted philosophy beyond your word, please forgive us. I pray for continued patience with one another, and I pray for a desire to see men and women come to know you more. I thank you for the opportunity for this wonderful worship band to hear their worship music. So it's my prayer for the next few minutes that we sing to you, God, is that you would seal your word in our hearts, that you would mark these songs on our hearts. You would challenge and convict us and encourage us and awaken us to the possibility of what we heard today. Most importantly, Lord, I pray for the Foothills Church submission towards you as you lead us into love and joy for your purpose. And it is in your beautiful name I pray. Amen.